looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Hey everybody, this is Eric Bazilian from The Hooters and you are listening to and enjoying Crazy Train Radio. world or croc jonathan Steele, and boy do we have a good one for you today
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, and yes, I stole that line for those who are fans of the show, know where I'm going with that, but the man on the line is internationally recognized as being a songwriter, a session musician, arranger, producer for numerous artists in U.S. and Europe, which we're going to talk about during this interview. He is mostly known for being a founding member of the Hooters, which has hits such as All You Zombies, Day by Day, and We Dance, Where the Children Go, and don't forget my personal favorite, which I definitely want to bring up, Beat Up Guitar. The man not only is a very talented musician and songwriter, he studied physics a little bit at a place called University of Penn, where he met his bandmate Rob Hyman, Mr. Eric Brazilian. Eric, how are you doing? I'm just great, thanks. How are you doing? Can't complain, and I usually say this tongue-in-cheek, but this is actually reality. Uh, normally, I talk to people stateside. Where are you currently at? I'm in Stockholm, Sweden. Which if I'm not mistaken, uh, if I heard the story correctly, you married a Swedish girl. So how did you end up with somebody from Sweden? Um, I had a very lucky flight. Uh, we were flying, the band was flying to the very north of Sweden to do a, a, a festival in 1993. And um, on the flight from JFK to Stockholm, a very pretty Swedish girl sat down next to me and we started talking and I was able to ask her, her name is Swedish because I had a feeling it would come in handy. And I'd learned a, a few, a few phrases. And um, at the end of the flight, we exchanged phone numbers and um, the rest is history. Well, you know, before I ask about the influences there, I always found this impressive and I've seen this on something called YouTube, which is becoming a, new thing those kids use <laughs> those kids be, yeah yeah but uh i've seen you sing in a couple different languages what languages do you actually sing in um i sing a lot in german actually you know what because we most of our touring is in germany and we do a couple of uh actual german songs we do an iconic german song called major tom that uh, Peter Schilling did. And we, I do the whole thing in German and it's hilarious. Um, we do translations of a couple of Hooters songs into German. I do one of us in German. And then we actually wrote a song in German. We have, Rob and I have limited language skills in German, but we were able to power through an entire song lyric. And then I can sing in Swedish. Um, and actually, um, I've been recording in French lately. Really? Why not? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, you know, that's very interesting. That Oh, in Japanese. Don't forget the first song I ever learned, in fact, is in Japanese. Wow. Amazing. I knew you did several languages, but yeah. Were you one who was influenced by uh, learning different languages early on? Or was this something you did later in life? I always enjoyed learning languages. You know, I, I, I started learning French in seventh grade and I, I loved it. I took Latin. Um, I taught myself a little bit, a little bit of Greek, a little bit of Russian, just because why not? There you go. Then 
for those who will catch the end of this because I screwed up, but that's a whole <laughs> you know, yeah, that's a whole here nor there. But there's also and it's not very much used anymore. It's a dying breed, I think, at least from my neck of the world. Yiddish. Because we both have a Jewish background. Yep. Yeah. So that's always a good thing. But obviously to start this off, mm-hmm. we, uh, I know because of your generation, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan was a big influence, but also you have a unique perspective too. And I know some may, some may not. You had both your mother and your uncle play music as well. So where does the mixture of those two different influences come into play for you? Well, by the time the Beatles played on Ed Sullivan, I was 10. Um, I started taking piano lessons when I was six. My uncle started teaching me guitar when I was eight. So I already had enough skills so that the day after when I, as long as every other boy of my generation decided I was gonna form a band, I had the skills to actually start learning those songs. Well, I had the beginning of those skills. I, I practiced a lot starting February 10th, 1964. Well, obviously you had these skills here and you have, let's fast forward to the, where we are. When we look at the big picture here, you've made a career out of this. And earlier you, when I re- right when I was realizing there was a screw up here, uh, you mentioned a story about your mom who played piano, yeah. but she, how, how do I put this? Uh, mom never questioned your career choice. What was that story you were telling about mom talking about what you do? Um, yeah, my every, everyone questioned my career choice for for a while there. Absolutely, you know. Fortunately, my parents were were supportive, eventually enough to you know to allow me to pursue this this crazy career. But um, there was a moment when when we finally signed our record deal with Columbia in '84 that my grandmother said to me that this is the ultimate Jewish grandmother. You know, you're a doctor or you're a schlumpf. Um, you know. I'm more proud of you now than I than I would have been if you were graduating from medical school. Yeah, and that's when, yeah, we mentioned the, and that's where the Yiddish comes into play, folks. That I realized that there was a Jewish heritage in Eric's uh, background, but you know, and it's a running theme as you will see and we will take here. But want to ask. How are you handling everything over in Sweden with all the craziness that's been going on since March? Uh, it's different here than it is anywhere else. Um, there's never been a general lockdown. Um, very few masks out on the street. Um, the government has uh, counted on the good sense of the citizens, the residents here, to keep social distance, to not put themselves in danger. Um, you know, for a while, there were all these stories about how you know Sweden was being devastated by the pandemic. Absolutely not true. Um, Sweden did have the same spike that everyone else did back in March and April, but um, since then, it's uh, it's just gradually gone down to 
I won't say negligible because any any fatalities aren't negligible, but you know, we're down to single digits here on a daily basis. Yeah, you mentioned that like in the ICU or something that's down to like 50 people. I think there are 50 people in the entire country who are in ICU right now. Which is we, we also we, bear in mind, bear in mind this is a really healthy country. People here eat well, they exercise, they walk a lot, um, they're outside a lot. I think that probably contributes to it. And not that we want to see anybody in ICU or anything like that, but the number 50 compared to some of the things we've seen worldwide, it's, yeah. we'll take the positivity there, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, you know, again, we're all guessing here what, what the right course of action is. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't do nothing here, that they, that there were guidelines and people here are pretty, pretty responsible. It is, after all, a socialist nightmare, as some would describe it. Uh, I haven't seen the nightmare part of that. Uh, things work really well here. And it, this is, there's a, a well-being here that I think uh, other countries could really take a, learn a lesson from. Yeah, so, and unfortunately, in some parts of the world, I won't say <coughs> U.S., uh, yeah. you know, as much as I love it here, you know, politicize things, but that's, that's a whole conversation yeah. we could have yeah. and not what we do. <laughs> nope. Not what we do. Yeah. We're not, I know I'm not an expert in it, but you know, it's, is what it is. And, you know, obviously you have concerns. Yeah. But besides what we're going to talk about with the professional stuff, the music mm -hmm. stuff and all the fun stuff, how are you as far as being a concerned father and husband with everything that's going on? I'm more concerned about what's going to happen in the U S in the next six months than I am about the pandemic because the pandemic will, will run its course. And, you know, as history has shown, every pandemic does eventually subside and life does go on. Um, you know, look, Again, it's a fine line getting into politics, but whichever side you're on, it's a mess. You know, the, 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 the U.S. and the, the world probably has never been more polarized. Uh, there's so much animosity, so much, just so much poison being, being thrown around by everyone that, that it's, it's really scary. Well, let's skip the poison side of things and be a little more positive yeah. here. Yeah, please. Like I said, let's get into the fun side of things here. Obviously, I'm familiar with the story of when you and Rob met over at the University of Penn your first week in, and you ended up having this impromptu jam session with the piano and you finding an acoustic guitar and whatnot. So what was the club scene like or in the late 70s, early 80s? In the um, baby grand days, which was the late seventies, there weren't a lot of a lot of places for us to play. But by the time we got the Hooters rolling in eighty, all of a sudden things were exploding. So obviously, club scene expands in the eighties there, mm -hmm. and there's this new change as far as uh, radio in yeah. not only the area but countrywide and there's two mm -hmm. names i think are pretty well known 
nationally, but especially in the Philadelphia area here, Michael Tiersen and Pierre Robert. How much influence did those guys have for you guys as a band? So, a tremendous amount, and, and at different times. Uh, Michael, in a way, was that provided the, the big bang for the Hooters as far as radio went. In um, probably late 80, um, but you know, the band, we did our first show in June 1980, and I think it was around around November that Michael decided to uh, do a t lock the doors, the studio doors at WMMR and stage a takeover. He called it Guerrilla Radio. And he said, I'm only going to play what I want to play until they break the door down. And um, uh, Rob and uh, his girlfriend at the time who were managing the band called, called Michael and said, hey, can we come down? Actually, I don't know whether they called him or he called, he called them, but they brought down the demo tape that we had just recorded and he played man in the street which was a, a ska instrumental that we that we had recorded he played it and the phones went rang off the hook and all of a sudden we were in heavy rotation on wmmr with a little two-track demo that we'd recorded a few weeks earlier of a ska instrumental i mean nobody knew what ska music was at that point you know there wasn't any of it aside from the, uh, the, the, the British ska invasion bands that were coming in like Madness and the Specials. But, um, you know, all of a sudden, the Hooters were on the radio. Um, so that was, a, you know, that was a huge thing for us. And then a few months later, we did a live broadcast from Emerald City. And they took um, a version of, uh, that, of all you zombies that, that they'd recorded and started playing that in heavy rotation. We released that as a single. Uh, so we, we got a lot of love from MR. Then Pierre came in a little bit later and he just ran with it. He, you know, he's always been a great friend to us, a tremendous supporter. Yeah, he's just always been, and we know Pierre a little bit, and he in general is just such a champion for music in general. He, and he's the last of a dying breed, I think. He really is. And he's so, he's, he's, got such great energy. I mean, I, I, I listen to him from over here. I do the live stream and uh, you know, I, that his voice is like a warm shower. Yeah. You, there's just that comfort there. Like you said that you, uh, about him, not only from the musical perspective, but just in general hearing his oh, voice. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's just a, he's a great guy. We've been trying to get him to come over here and visit us for years. He would love it here. Oh, absolutely. But, Let's not forget um, Ed Shockey. Ed Shockey was a huge, huge influence on, on so many people. And, you know, he, you know, he is largely responsible for Springsteen's popularity, for Yes, for, for Genesis, for Billy Joel. I mean, he was a real champion of, of, of new music. Well, obviously the industry has changed uh, because of, like you, we were talking about earlier, which didn't get picked up for some odd reason, uh, social media, YouTube, you know, all these different mm -hmm. outlets, you know, how much from your perspective as an artist has the changes in technology helped, but also hurt the uh, musical industry? Well, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, the good news is that anyone can make a record now and make it sound pretty good. 
the bad news is that anyone can make a record and how to make it sound good. Um, you know, you know, every I, I occasionally check out New Music Friday on Spotify and it's it a it all sounds the same and b it's all with a very very rare exception it's all garbage you know it sounds fine um you know people obviously have some skills in putting stuff together that sounds like music but it's like to find a song or something i can grab a hold of and get you know get be captivated by that's rare and few and far between for me well not only from your solo career, but uh, with the band, the Hooters as well. Do you think you guys could have uh, had as much success with coming in with the technology that's around now? I, I, well, if we had had it, yeah. But if everyone had it, I don't know. There's just, you know, there's, there's just so much noise now. It's, a, it's just this, this baseline level of noise, of, of electronic beats and and you know, perfectly quantized and tuned vocals that, that it really makes it hard to, hard to penetrate. Um, you know, I'd like to think that there's such a lack of, of real songwriting now that, that great songs will find their place, but boy, how do you get heard? I, I, I really don't know. You know, I mean, the other thing that, that we had working to our advantage was releasing our first Columbia album when MTV was, was at its peak. You yeah, know, it's funny. Was, that's that funny a, you, you say know, that. That was a game changer for us. Yeah. The, speaking of which, because uh, I know you mentioned you watched documentary and all recently uh, when the audio wasn't working here. Did you see the I Want My MTV on Biography? I have not seen that yet. I'm going to, uh, maybe we'll watch that this weekend. Yeah, it was uh, very interesting in the early start of that whole genre of music TV and you definitely came up in that. But where does Cindy Lauper come in with you guys? Because I know Rob has written for her. You, you've worked with her. And mm -hmm. where does she come into the picture working with you guys? Well, I think it was a significant thing for us because, you know, we'd had a lot of success as a band locally. But at that time, Philadelphia was sort of a black hole for New York, uh, you know, all the, re all the record companies at the time were, were he headquartered there. And, to, you know, even though we were selling out and selling in insane amounts of our independent records, we could not get them to come down and see us. Now you come to New York. So, you know, we go to New York and play to 40 people. And, and you know, the A&R genius would say, ah, you know, it wasn't electric. You didn't get the crowd moving. Well, come to Philadelphia, come see what we do. Um, but after the, you know, after the success of the Cindy record, you know, Rob and I, as a musical force, had had some some serious cachet, and I think that had that, and then the fact that we released Amore later that year and sold 150,000 copies of it, you know, gave them some some uh, made them take pause and notice that something really was happening there. Yeah, and a little bit of a change of tune there for from their yeah. perspective. Yeah. Uh, well. That's interesting. And maybe I know you guys tour when touring was a thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, a lot in Europe. Yep. Europe, Germany, all that, you know, a lot of the spots over there where you started becoming very popular in the early 90s over there. But you also mentioned 
performing in Philly, and I've seen you guys in Philly a yeah. couple of times, whether the Electric Factory or, you know, you've played the man and, you know, just these different yep. spots that are local Philadelphia. And there's a certain energy about your shows in Philadelphia. Do you have that same type of energy over in Europe? Yeah. I mean, it's different because it's not our, our hometown crowd. It's not the people that grew up with us and that we grew up with. But, you know, we've been touring in Germany for 30 years. And, um, you know, we have, a, we have our fans there. We have our friends there. It's, yeah, it's, you know, it's different, but equal. You know, which I did see, and a friend of mine uh, contacted me. I believe it was last year you guys were playing down in Epcot. Yeah. Yeah, for the Eat It to Beat uh, International Food and Wine Festival, which is was cool, kind of cool because he goes, man, yeah, he's from the Philadelphia area but moved down there for work. And mo the excitement playing at Epcot. So was that kind of cool playing in a Disney environment? It turned out to be great, yeah. I mean, we did it three years in a row, and I suppose we would have been doing it this year if it was uh, possible. You know, it was... We weren't sure going into it, but the, but the the booker who had gone to Temple, there's always a Philly connection. It's where, wherever it is, there's, there's always someone who comes from Philly or went to school in Philly. So he said, I promise you, you're going to love it. The Beach Boys do it every year. Rick Springfield does it every year. All these people do it every year. So it was kind of weird because we would do three 30-minute sets and they would turn the house each time. So our fans who would fly down from Philadelphia to see us, we have to walk out and walk back in. Um, but, you know, you, you look out into this little amphitheater and see the fans. Then you look up and you see people pushing baby strollers, you know, and eating. <laughs> so it was kind of, it's kind of wacky, but it was cool. It was a great, you know, it's a great gig. Look, every gig is a great gig. Yeah, that, you know, that's for sure. It just seems like certain environments uh, definitely have a different cachet as far as uh, performing them. But like you said, there's nothing like the hometown crowd. Yeah. 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 I mean, we do those shows at the, at the Keswick or the annual shows at the Keswick, which again, I guess, I guess that's not going to happen either this year, but you know, we do those and it's, it's really emotional. It's really emotional. And we play, there's an energy that, 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 we get from the audience and we give back to them. It's, it's, it's incomparable. And, you know, there's, and I know some folks in different forms of entertainment and it's amazing that, and you just hit it on the head there that there's just something about feeding off a live crowd that gives you such a high, a natural high, mind you, we're not talking, mm -hmm drugs or anything like yeah. that but it gives you such a natural high that it takes so much to come down from and it's yeah. hard to give up sure yeah absolutely i mean it's and you know we've gotten it all over the world that's the thing you know we we headline these festivals in germany fifteen thousand people and you forget where you are i remember we played in australia we had a little 15 minutes of fame there in in the mid 80s and 
we were playing in Melbourne, 10,000 people sold out. And at one point I looked up and I forgot that we were halfway ac across the world. I thought we were at home. Well, speaking of playing large shows, you've played Live Aid, you've played Conspiracy of Hope up at Giant Stadium, you know, the, the Live in Berlin show in 90, yep. you know, you know, all the, some of these major shows when you talk of big influence. But I did hear recently there was a story with Live Aid that I can't remember the gentleman's name at the top of my head here. Still an early morning for me. Yeah. That didn't want you guys on the show, but one of the prom fellow promoters was pushing for you guys. You got to have the Hooters on. What's you know, the story with that? Well, it's the it's the famous Bob Geldof line. Um, it was the actually the opening line in, in the our, the Rolling Stone article about us. Um, I don't know if you're going to have to bleep this, but it, uh, who the fuck are the Hooters? Asked Bob Geldof when he saw the lineup in Philadelphia. Um, it's not that he had anything against us; he just didn't know who we were. You know, that's a fair question. I mean, if I you know spent months and given my life to, to, to putting on this huge worldwide event and I saw somebody that I didn't recognize, I, I would probably have asked the same thing. I mean, he didn't try to get us off. He just was surprised that we were there. Yeah, exactly. But do you think you, and I know it's here and or there at this point, but do you think you answered that question and proved it wrong when he said, who the fuck uh, are the Hooters? I hope so. You know, it's funny. We, um, I guess in, uh, what year was it? 2005, when the, um, the DVD set came out, he left us off of it. We were not, we're not on it. And the same week, he opened for us at a show in Germany. And he avoided us. We passed him once in the hall and he kind of sheepishly looked up and, 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 and waved, said hi. Um, again, I don't think he left us off maliciously. I think there's only so much, so much time you could put on a, on, a, on a DVD and he didn't, it was his call. And he thought that it was more important to put whoever got, got there in our place, you know. And, yeah. you know, the videos on, on YouTube, if you want to see the Hooters at Live Aid, you can see the Hooters at Live Aid. Yeah, but just seems like a and i think you would understand us being a philly guy and whatnot and from the northeast here that if he just shot straight with you you yeah. guys all would have been good yeah because like you said you get that there's only a certain amount of time and all instead yeah. of being sheepish about you know oh hi yeah guys. that would have been you know what that would have been really nice if he if he had come up to us and said yeah hey i'm sorry yeah, you know what? That would have been really nice. Yeah. That would have been really nice. But he didn't, and for whatever reason, uh, you know, listen, if I ran into him on the street tomorrow, I would say, hey, Bob, how you doing? Eric Bazilian from the Hooters, remember us? Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah, and like we've been having it during this conversation, it would have been, you got more important things to worry about. Uh, not Absolutely. only, Yeah, it's not like, but there's just a at least for me, being grown up in this area and everything, and you know the yeah. exact thing I'm talking about, just a respect thing. If you shot straight with me, 
hey, we're cool, you know? I may yeah. not like it, but we're good. <laughs> I mean, if, if he had said, I'm going to put you on the DVD and hadn't, that would have been a different conversation. Exactly. You know, it was his call to, it was his call to make. And you know what? The 120,000 people who were there and the billion people who watched it on TV, they know what they saw and they will never forget it. Or, and the ones, like you said, that when I see it on YouTube, that's for sure. Yep. yep. But the other artist I thought was very cool and had a conversation and interview with her as well, which she is totally awesome. Joan Osborne. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that you produced and wrote for her as well. And, you know, she's, I think she's so solely underrated. Well, people who, who have heard her, who track her, don't underrate her because they know yeah. how amazing she is. Yeah, the people who, yeah, like you said, you put it eloquently there. The people who are familiar with her love her, rightfully so. Yep. But there are folks, they go, who, who's, but as soon as you mention one of us, oh, what? You know, yep. I mean, it's one of those you go. Again, for her, that was a double-edged sword. You know, on the one hand, it gave her a career, but it, um, and uh, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't argue with this. The song was bigger than she was. And, you know, people know the song. A lot of people don't know who did the song. I mean, likewise, a lot of people know the Hooters songs who don't know who did them. You know, people, uh, you know, well, you know, what, what do you do? I'm in a, in a band. What's the band? The Hooters. Oh, I never heard of you. Uh, I'll sing a little bit of Emily Dance for All You Zombies. And I go, oh, yeah, I love those songs. I never knew who did them. Yeah, it's funny because I was talking to a few people about uh, this conversation that we had coming up. And it, it was the same thing. Soon as I, who? Like, and they did, it wasn't disrespectful, but I was like, who are you talking about? Yeah. But as soon as I mentioned some of the music, they're like, oh, those guys. Okay. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Same reaction. But uh, with that, the one thing with that song I always thought was great because you were, there's a story, another story behind that with the writing of that song. Yeah. But the thing I always, that, I always pop for was the parody of it in Austin Powers. Yeah, that's the best, best cover ever. The best cover anyone has ever had. How were you approached about, they said, hey, because as a writer on a song, hey, we have this idea, we want to, you know, do this with it. How were you approached about them using a the song? My publisher was approached by the producers of the film asked him to use the song and you know they negotiate a fee and okay it's all good then a week before the film came out the soundtrack came out and one of us wasn't on it so i got worried i i said well did they end up not using it because that had happened before where it was going to be in a film a bruce willis film and for whatever reason it didn't make the final cut and the, um, the day before the release of the film I get a, a, a voicemail from, from my publisher who had just been to the screening. He said, I just saw the movie. You are going to flip when you see how they used your song. So take me there. You see the film. Yeah. What, what was your reaction when you saw how it was done and used? You know, come on. You see Dr. Evil sitting at a white piano with Minnie Me sitting on a little tiny white piano on top of it, singing 
What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? Zoom, 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 zoom. And then following it with, thank you, I wrote that. <laughs> now, if you follow the line of reasoning, he was back in 1967 singing that song. If he had sung that song in 1967, he would have written it. Yeah. So I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. So I've mentioned you've been recognized for songwriting and session musician and doing the different jobs of within music. Obviously performing, and we've talked about this, there's a certain reaction that everybody loves the, the positivity. But is there a personal favorite that you enjoy doing, whether it's producing, the writing process? I, I need it all. I really need to do all of it. You know, people ask me, you know, what do you, what do you do? I'm a musician. Well, are you, you know, do you play? Or are you? Yes, I do all of it. it. To me, it's all about making music and making music is writing songs. It's recording songs, it's playing them, it's singing them, it's performing them. You know, I can't separate one from the other. If I, if I you know, this is the longest I've, I've been without going on stage in a very long time and it, it hurts. On the other hand, if I'm on the road too long and don't get to write songs, don't get to record them, that hurts too. I, I really need it all. Well, speaking of writing songs, I've talked to other musicians on this show. And what is your process? Because everybody has a different process as far as yeah. writing stuff. Are you one to keep, whether your iPhone or notepad nearby, but also on the double-edged sword there, are you able to eventually separate yourself from whatever you're working on as a songwriter to say, okay, I finally got to release this to the world? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm at that point right now. I've, I've, I've written and recorded an album in the past six months. And um, now I have to release it to the world. And frankly, it's, it's weighing on me because you know, other solo things that I've done, even things that we've done with the Hooters in the past 15 years, you know, you put it out there and it just sort of dies on the vine because there's no infrastructure, there's no MTV, there's no, you know, we don't have a major record company. I don't have a major record company. I don't have a minor record company behind me. So, to, you know, to, to figure out the strategy, you know, how, how to release it, how to, how to let people know that it exists, that's, that's a real challenge. It's one that I'm dealing with at this very moment. Because I have a good album. I think it's a real, I think it's a real thing, real, a real worthy piece of music. Well, speaking of that, have you figured out or gotten any answers uh, in terms of how, well, some of those questions you had there as far as marketing uh, not, and all that? Not yet, not really, you know. There, you know, there's sort of the, the cookie cutter thing that you know you do where you you um, submit it to to whichever digital distributor you know there's there's TuneCore, um, TuneCore, Bandcamp, um, Amuse, um, they will submit it to uh, to Spotify, Apple Music. You hope you get on some playlists. Um, you do your social media campaign. You do it yourself. You pay somebody else to do it, um, and then you hope you get some plays. Um, you know, that's all well and good. That'll get you a little spike if you're lucky. But, you know, my, my, 
my career has been based on sort of timeless music. You know, I, I'm not writing songs for now. I'm writing songs for today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, the next 10 years. You know, I, I want to write songs that will speak to people in wh whichever decade, wh whatever phase of their lives they're in. I would agree with that, that most of the music that you have put out will work, whether it was in the 80s, the 90s, the aughts, you know, here in 2020, you know, it, it has to, time doesn't matter uh, in terms of when you listen to music, but what do you think your legacy will be when people bring up your name? or the band name of the Hooters. We're talking 30, 40, 50, yeah, long after we're not here. Do you have a thought on how people will, when they bring up your name or the band's name? I, I feel good about whatever it's going to be. I, you know, the band, the band has touched a lot of people. And I think that we've had a relationship with our audience that a lot of bands who got way bigger than us have not had. I think we've had a real close up and personal relationship with our audience, with our fans. Um, so I don't know that our legacy will be as ubiquitous as many others, but I think it'll be deep. I think that everyone who's ever been to a show has been moved. Uh, people keep coming back and back and back and back. You know, we have fans in Germany who come to all of our shows there who fly to, to Philadelphia when we play there. We have fans in Philly who fly to Germany. I mean, we, had, we have a, a few fans in Philly who are going to follow us through the entire German tour this summer. And, you know, and me personally, my legacy, you know, I, I think, I, I know, of course, you know, one of us will figure into that because it's a, it's a ubiquitous song. It's a song everyone knows. A song that's had a, a, had a long life and you know, I think we'll continue to have one. Um, but again, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Max Martin, I'm not Desmond Child, I'm not a legendary songwriter who's had hits in every decade. Um, and that's fine. You know, I know those guys. I know Desmond really well and I love him. I love working with him. We've done great work together. Um, you know, he's, I, I, I do what I do. I have, I have my voice. Um, when my voice intersects with another artist, that's great, but, you know, like what happened with Joan. Um, and I'm glad that I, that I have a voice. I have a singular voice as a songwriter, not, not as a singer for sure. Uh, you know, I, 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 sing, I sing out of necessity. I would much rather hear someone else sing my songs, generally speaking. Almost sounds like the, uh, and I'll bring up another documentary because that seems to be an underlining thing here. Uh, almost sounds like something I heard Glenn Fry say on the Eagles documentary. You know, he was more into hearing other folks sing yeah. his stuff. Yeah, I mean, that, there's, a, there's a real sense of power in that because you're, you know, you, you realize that the thing that you've created is bigger than you are. And, you know, for me, it's, it's not about me. It's about the work I do. I, I, never, I never wanted to be famous. I want my work to be way more famous than I am. And I think you've hit that mark on several occasions. Yeah. When, I mean, sometimes it would be nice to be a little more famous, like when I can't get into a restaurant. It would be nice to be able to just walk in and, oh, here, here, sir, we have a place for you. Yeah. Well, we've hinted at it a couple of times before we wrap this, but also go back and fix. Yeah. But uh, we've hinted at 
the one of us, the the song, the story behind that. Mm-hmm. Now the version I heard at least, and Joan had mentioned filled in the blank a little bit here, mm-hmm. that you actually wrote it for in front of or not for, but in front of your then girlfriend, now wife, when she came over from Sweden to visit. What's the story behind that? Um let me see if I can remember. No, I've told no, no. the story more than a few times. I think I actually told it last night at a dinner party. Um, yeah, Sarah had just moved over um, to be with me. I was touring a lot at the time, but we were going to be home for four months making Joan, Joan's record. And um, she had been there for maybe a week. And um, uh, we watched a, a documentary about the making of Sgt. Pepper. Okay. which is, and a lot of that is George Martin sitting at the four channel console. And uh, at the end of the documentary, Sarah said, well, four, four channel recording, what's that? And I said, that's what, that's why we don't have a dining room table here because it's covered with my four track recorder and cables. And she said, well, record something for me. So I had a guitar riff that I'd been playing all day. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll make a little musical track. So I had a little keyboard sampler with drum sounds and bass sounds. And I made a little arrangement based on that guitar riff and I recorded it onto two of the four tracks. And then when I finished, I looked up at her thinking she'd go, wow, that's really cool. And she, well, she went, yeah, that's pretty cool. But how, how about you sing it? And I'm like, well, you don't really just sing it. You've got to write a chorus and a title and then get an idea for the verses and then you write the verses, but then you realize that the chorus doesn't fit the verses. So you rewrite the chorus. And then two weeks later, you realize you ruined the whole thing and you start over again. <laughs> and uh, by that point, she was falling asleep on the sofa. And I, uh, I heard the voice of Brad Roberts from the crash test dummies in my head singing, if God had a name. So I put the machine into record and I sang the song. I sang the whole song except for the last line of the chorus. I was stuck for a last line. And I hear her calling from the next room, trying to get home. Just a stranger on the bus, trying to get home, trying to get, trying to find, trying to make his way home. Boom. So she is indelibly etched into the creation of that song. And hopefully she gets her share of royalties for throwing that line out there. (laughs) We've been married for 25 years, so yeah. Oh, boy. And, you know, as I uh, think about that, is there a particular song that you guys, when you play live, because I know you've also done some of your solo work, like One of Us and Mm -hmm. a few other songs that you and Rob were involved with writing. Is there something that really pops the crowd when you uh, play it? Absolutely. I mean, different, depending on where we are, um, we had different hits in different countries. So like in Philadelphia, zombies and we danced and we danced is that is our show closer. That's, there's just no way around that. Uh, zombies and we danced day by day. Where did the children go? Boom. That's the big four in Germany. It's Johnny B and 500 miles in Scandinavia. It's 500 miles, uh, satellite as, as well. I mean, our, our audience in Philadelphia knows that we continued making records. Um, uh, most people in the United States, I mean, we have appeared on the one hit wonder charts because there are, there are a lot of people who think that we, that after And We Danced, we disappeared. Um, 
what we do I'm Alive, which was a song that we, we did in our 2007 album, uh, that's pretty much uh, ubiquitously our, our show opener now. And that's a, that for our fans, that's a hit for our fans. That's as big as any dance. Well, the one for me, and I always enjoy doing it because I got little ones that hang out in the house, you know, niece and yeah. nephew and stuff. More so the niece because she's old enough to kind of get into music and dance and mm -hmm. all that stuff at three. Uh, she always likes when I tend to play on the guitar or the mandolin, beat up guitar. Nice. Well, of course, in Philly, you know, that, that we close the show with that always. And that's, and, and we started doing it in Germany too. And they love it there too, because they feel what we feel, you know, singing about home, leaving home, coming back to home. Yeah, it's, there's just something about that song that, and like you said, uh, Philly being your home, I don't know. It's like I don't since going around town, and I know that going to Frank on the Frankfurt L, and you know, yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. There's just something about that that you go. Yeah, I listen. It's a deep, Philly's, Philly's a deep well. You know, the you can take the Philly out of the, the boy out of Philly. You can't take the Philly out of the boy or the girl. Um, it's true. Philly's got a kind of soul. There's a real. There's a real deep deep thing that Philly's got. Yeah. Well, you know, since you say that, did you ever have somebody, and I had somebody tell me this when I was actually working at Disney, you know, mm. go back to the whole Disney thing when I was down mm. there for a year. And I don't care what anybody thinks as I say this, the person I went to pick up lunch in the park before mm -hmm. I started my shift and I said, I know I'm going to regret this, and I know you'll understand this. Let me try a Philly cheesesteak here. But I, as I was looking how they had it listed in the menu, I go, hey, buddy, you don't do this. You don't do that. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Right? Yeah. And, of course, he looks at me and goes, man, you're such an asshole. But I wasn't being an asshole about it. It was just that whole yeah. northeast. Yeah. You, you got know, your pride, man. I said, come on, man. He goes, what makes you – now, mind you, I had my name tag. I was in my work uniform and all yep. where I had my name, Philadelphia so, PA. He, he looks at me. He didn't look at that. He goes, hey, brother, first, why the attitude, which there was no attitude about it. Mm -hmm. But he goes, what makes you think you know about Philly cheesesteaks? Had to call my punk card out, right? Like, right. man – let me tell you something. First, look at the tag. And second of all, when they discharge you from the hospital at birth, they give you a cheesesteak practically. <laughs> I said, I th at the time I was 30, I said, I think I've had a sandwich or two. For, you know? <laughs> That's when the real, you know, like, yep. yeah, dude, yep. I, I, at this point, I've had a sandwich or two. I think I know a cheesesteak. <laughs> I know a cheesesteak. Yep, that's for sure. Uh, but what do you have coming up? Uh, obviously, you said you had the new music ready to look at doing. But is there anything else going on that you can uh, tell the fans? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm pretty public about about my um, what I'm doing on social media. 
Um, there's an artist in Philadelphia named Alexis Cunningham I've been working with for a few years. And last year we did an album. Um, the, uh, the artist entity is called Alexis and the Medicine with two X's. We've got a killer album, which we finished right in time for the pandemic to hit. So we're sitting on a, on a really, really beautiful body of work waiting for the world to be a safe place to release music again. Um, you know, there's that. I, I, did an, I did an album with a wonderful artist in, uh, in Slovenia named Manu, M-A-N-U. Again, wonderful artist. She won Slovenia's Eurovision contest a couple of years ago. Um, through her, I met um, Martin Stibernik, who is my co-producer in Slovenia. And he's been to Philadelphia twice now, and he gets the Philly thing. Mm -hmm. Coming from the Balkans, he totally gets the Philly thing. I think in a way, Slovenia is the Philadelphia of Europe. Underestimated, like underappreciated. Um, so, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had an incredibly fruitful couple of years, you know, of making music and, and making new relationships. And I really look forward to the world opening up again. And of course, you know, to, to do our 40th anniversary tour a year late, hopefully just one year late, you know, we were, we were getting geared up. We had a killer live show plan. We have a DVD from um, almost two hours of a show we did in Germany in 2018. That is going to be, that's amazing. And we're going to get that out there soon. We're probably going to put that up for streaming soon. Well, I'll tell you what, and it's a good way to wrap this here. I think you just hit the nail on the head there without even realizing it, or maybe you do because you're a very bright man. <laughs> that music brings so much as far as relationship goes. And it doesn't, we've talked about it here during this chat, that you know, it doesn't matter where in the world you are whether you're performing in Philly, Orlando, Germany, Sweden, wherever you are, yeah. there's just something about music that brings everybody together. That's why they call it music. That's what it does. That's what it's supposed to do. Well, I will be posting links to social media and all that fun stuff on both the audio and video versions of this. Yeah. So. Oh, there's going to be a video version of this? Oh, no, no. Um, I do a video version, but it's not – it's with images. It's not what we're seeing now because trust okay. me. Because trust okay, me, yeah. I, I, yeah. I rolled out of bed and I had a late, late night last night. So I was like, okay, I'm going with the flannel because it's only going to be 60 today. Yeah, only going to be 60. Wow. I, what is it here? Let's see. Here, I mean, bear in mind, we are, we are north, way north of you. Um, Let's see, what are we looking at here? Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Celsius here, let me put it there. Actually, it's 61 here, but this is the warmest it's gonna to be today. There you're gonna, actually, you're only gonna get up through the mid 60s today. So yeah, it's about the same. Yeah, so, hey, Dave Roberts, and I know, again, I'm gonna go with a local reference here, mm -hmm. and Eric, who we get. Dave Roberts over there, 6ABC. When you retire, me and Eric are going for your position, guess we're doing worldwide weather here. But yeah. Eric, uh, yeah, you know I miss everything. I, you know, the, I mean, I, I, I love being here, um, but it's, I, don't think I could, I can't take it much longer without going back. You know, for all the time we've been here, I, like I said, 
it's been pretty much evenly split and you know every every four to six weeks i was on a plane heading back there and you know I, it just made me appreciate home so much more well you'll be able to come home before you know it don't worry about that you guys will be back so. yeah i hope so and yeah it's getting old yeah 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 tell me about it eric thank you so much for the time my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to hear me talk about my Meshuggah stuff. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com.